Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Today's episode is sponsored by my Lit Daily Online Yoga Classes. This is an exclusive pass into my personal practice and program that I created from experience as a physical therapist and 20 years developing my Lit Yoga methodology. There is a different class with me every day, including special monthly live streams, so you can feel your most lit up anytime and anywhere. Get a three-day free trial today by going to movementbylara.com and clicking daily classes. Let's get moving. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a Movement by Laura podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through safer and smarter movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Today is Wednesday Q&A. You ask the questions and I answer. They can be questions about life, about physical therapy, about movement, about anything. So I receive them either on Instagram, in messaging on Instagram, or you can write me at lara at movementbylara.com and I will make sure I try and get to them. So here we go without further ado. So the first person, Yoga with Emily Exum. Hi, Laura. What is best for overkyphosis? So kyphosis is one curvature of the spine, which is kind of a posterior curvature, meaning it curves away from the middle of the spine or the if the spine is like kind of the ground, uh, the ground, it's curving away from it as opposed to toward it, which would be lordosis. So it's normal to find kyphosis in the thoracic spine and it's also in the sacrum. And then the cervical spine and the lumbar spine are lordotic. So they have the opposite curves. So in the thoracic area, the area that is your rib cage, the 12 thoracic vertebra, there is, it's normal to have some kyphosis there that serves to protect all of the organs, the innards within that, your the organs of life. If it gets excessive, that's usually because you've been slouching a lot. It can be a combination with the forward head. So you have like your forward head jutting forward and then rounding in the upper back. So what is the best thing to do for it? Well, the first thing is you've you, you need to try and get some extension in your thoracic spine. 
So extension is going to help kind of pull out that roundedness. Extension is going to also make you feel taller and more open. You can best get that thoracic extension by making sure that your pelvis is neutral. So imagine your pelvis is like a pot for a plant. And if you are tilted in the pelvis, your plant is not going to just kind of grow straight up. So you have to first get the pelvis neutral. So if you are experiencing a lot of rounding in the upper back, are check in, are you posterior tilting the pelvis kind of so the whole back is rounded? Or are you arching a lot and in, in getting too much lumbar lordosis and it with the anterior tilt, pelvic tilt and then kind of rounding in the upper back as a result of that? That can happen. So first get a neutral pelvis. And then the second thing is to work on thoracic extension and thoracic rotation. Those two ranges of motion will help get the kyphotic state um, in in a kind of more normal, um, a a more normal amount of kyphosis. And there's plenty of exercises that I've shown on Instagram where I'm doing thoracic rotation and some thoracic extension. Don't you don't have to think like excessive backbend. It's really for for the purpose of just getting the spine longer. So imagine inflating space between the vertebra themselves. Don't just think about going back. Think about going up with the the space in between the spine, and that will help a lot. You have to think about it all the time, right? You have to give yourself um, cues, whether it's sticky notes or um, timers with your phone that, hey, like check in, are you are you extending that upper back? Are you in a good position? Well, I've talked about the three S's, the triple S, the sacrum, the scapula, and the back of the skull. Those Getting those three parts on some kind of um, feedback mechanism, whether it's through the wall or through the floor, are going to help also get your uh, thoracic spine in, a, in its neutral position, which is going to be out of excessive kyphosis. And then you have to get all the muscles around that to support it. So that's going to be your core muscles are not just your six pack. It's your deep core muscles, the deep core. So that'll be your transverse, your internal obliques. It's going to be your quadratus lumborum, multifidus. Um, And then going up into the ribcage area, the serratus is going to help External obliques a little bit less deep, but very, very valuable for for helping to hold the core strong and helping to hold you in a more upright, extended position. So work on that core strengthening. Again, if you take my classes, you know that's why we start every single class with a reset. It's to reestablish a neutral position for your for your pelvis, for the spine, and to get all of the um, muscles engaged for both stability and mobility. So I hope that helps you. Um, Ohry.gr, O-H-R-O-H-Y dot, or no, O-H-Y underscore G-R asked me, so as issues, how to prevent? So that's a pretty general question. I think this so as is a, I know it is, it's a complex muscle that is unfortunately maligned and blamed for a lot of things. The psoas muscle runs from your upper inner thigh up and across the front of your pelvis and then through the body to attach to uh, T12 through L1, L2, L3, L4, L5, 
vertebra and disc. So it is very important because when it is restricted, usually mechanically restricted means it's from a position or the way it's been used. So either positionally or mechanically restricted, it will pull on your back. So sometimes low back pain, Greg was just asking me the other day, Greg, the cameraman said, how do you know? Like, how do you know with so many people? Like you say, oh, it's your psoas. It's not your low back muscles. And I say, well, all I have to do is look at the position of their pelvis, hear what they're doing in their daily life, which is usually sitting a lot. And I'll know that um, the position of their pelvis and the way they're sitting a lot with that hip flexion is shortening the psoas. And then, so when they go up to stand, it's being pulled on and it usually pulls from the front to the back. And so the kind of victim or the area, the source of, of pain or discomfort is in the back part. So the psoas, so when you say like issues with the psoas, I'm not really sure which part, most likely you're thinking about the hip flexor part. So the psoas has this um, kind of oxymoronic place, or not place, but behavior in that it is, will get mechanically shortened, but weak. Because we often think of short muscles kind of being as like tight and good, you know, tight and strong. And it's actually shortened and weak. So what the psoas needs is it needs, what I'd say is hydration. So it needs movement to get it hydrated and then to get some um, length, more length to it, getting it out of that more bound shortened position that it can get in from chronically sitting or anterior tilting. So I'd say first work on your position, whether it's standing, sitting, the movement that you're doing, what is the pelvis doing? And it also needs to be neutral. With a neutral pelvis, your psoas is much more likely to not become a nuisance. <laughs> and then the other thing is to strengthen it, to work it. It is it is an intrinsic core muscle as well. We think of it the psoas as a hip flexor, which it does do in some regards, but it's also a lumbar uh, stabilizer. So we need to find the strength in that, in the psoas to, to really give it a chance at helping us stabilize. So I hope that helps you. I think it's complex because it's, it's a muscle that attaches from the front to the back through the body. No other muscle does that. It's crazy in that way. And it's super cool. I have some psoas classes on my Lit Daily as well. So check them out. Okay. Gasha.Pascal. Paschal. Thank you. Gosha. I'm sorry. I'm probably botching, botching your name. I know you. <laughs> Is there a right way to study yoga anatomy? Any order slash study system you can suggest? What a great question. There is, there's no right or wrong way. There's a probably um, better way of absorbing the information. And in that way, that would be the kind of choice you want to make, the more optimal choice. And that is, again, not to sell my stuff, but I, I do have an online training and it's, my, it's based on my in-person training. It's based on my years and years and years and years of work with thousands of people. And the way, the reason I know it's successful is because of I can teach anyone, you don't have to be a PT, I can teach anyone functional anatomy. The reason why I can I know it works is I teach it and I apply it. I teach it and I apply it. I explain what these muscles do, like just what I did with about the psoas. 
kind of where it runs, what its job is, what some of the problems that can um, that can be found there, what to do about them. That's going to always be your best resource. The best way to study anatomy is in relationship to movement. It's super dry to study origin and insertion. You know, like if I sat there and said, hey, the iliopsoas runs from the lesser trochanter of the femur coming up and through and attaches, you know, and I told you where it attaches. Okay, but so you can imagine it. That's good to imagine it. And, you know, when the pelvis is fixed, it flexes the hips. When the hips are flexing, it can stabilize the spine. So, you know, it has its job, right? I can tell you that, but I, then I really need to, you need to then apply it into movement so that it lands. So I think that's the best way to learn it. And you need to learn it kind of um, in multiple fronts, meaning look at pictures, look at it, look at a video with it, put your hands on yourself, learn how to activate something and feel the muscle underneath, understand the what's happening in various ways, when gravity is applied, when gravity is assisting, um, when other muscles are not other muscles that are working in conjunction called synergists. Like there's a lot of ways of understanding anatomy, but it's always got to be applied, applied, applied. Otherwise it will just not stay in your brain. Um, so I hope that answers your question. Is there any order of study system you can suggest? I would say look at movement books, m- books that are um, show anat- show the muscles in action. So I know Ray Long has some really good books with that. Um, personally, I don't like all the alignment of the poses that he has in there. And so that's kind of one of my bigger issues with it. And I think it's, um, it's, I love the illustrations. Some of the text I'm, I'm, I, I just, I think is confusing for a non, um, anatomist, but I think for the visual, his stuff is really good. And I also look at dance books like Blandis Germain Calais. I've talked about her before. She does dance books and they're beautiful drawings and it really gives you a sense of the muscle in action. So I hope that helps. But of course, take my online training because you will learn all this and apply it. Okay, the next question. Oh, same person. I love it. Fascia release with a ball. Good idea. Will a tennis ball do? Tips on using it. Okay, so first of all, I just added an athletic series to my lit daily. Check it out because the number, the fourth um, video, and all of them are anywhere from 15 to 22 minutes, they're short, is on myofascial release, MFR, and using a tennis ball. I talk about using a kind of dead tennis ball, one that has lost some of its bounce because I don't want something too firm. The idea, the premise with fascia is that you want to feel there is some compression involved, that's when you're like on the ball, that does not make you hold your breath, right? So that you can get a a strong sensation, but it's not excruciating. So, so many people get a lacrosse ball and they're like gritting their teeth and like feel like they're just kind of like banging it out and trying to like just grind that thing out, whatever their tightness is. And I don't believe in that. I don't believe in causing pain to an area that already has some discomfort. There are mechanical receptors within the um, fascia that are giving you feedback of the tension 
And then the nociceptors are the ones that are giving you feedback of the the stimuli to the pain, you know, to the to the sensation. So you don't want to stimulate them because when you stimulate them, you're kind of setting off a whole host, a cascade of events that happens when your body's in pain. And you that I, I, my theory is it keeps you in that pain cycle. So you, it feels painful to do. You're like, I think I'm working this out because it's so painful. You might get a, a, a little bit of relief afterwards because mainly you've removed the sense of pain. And there might also be some rush of blood flow to the area, but then you're going to wake up and have the same stuff all over again. So you think, oh, the ball will help because it did help me a little bit. But you keep, it's like you, it's like you're, it's like you're hammering, um, the hammer, you're hammering your nail, your thumbnail. And while you're doing it, it hurts like hell. And then you take it away and it's like, oh, that really brings me a little relief. It's not because... You, you did it like you did it with that hard ball. You, you did it because it's you're not banging it anymore. That's the only relief. So, okay, I'm going off topic, but yeah, you can use a ball. A tennis ball is as strong of a ball as I would use, and and I think a dead end tennis ball is is a good idea. Okay, I'm going to take one more question here. Kaylin Clark, do you use shoulder blade and scapula interchangeably? Yes, I do. And she asked why. Well. I use a lot of the the formal names with the not you know the casual names or in other words somebody layperson versus um kind of a professional physical therapist or doctor or whatever. So if I'm talk you know so I, but I don't want to just speak to the layperson in lay terms like your shoulder blades and your collarbone like those are terms the layperson meaning a non-person who's involved in the medical world or the world of the body will use. And so I know that that's recognizable. So I want to kind of start at a level where we're all speaking the same language, right? We all, shoulder blade, we know what that is. Collarbone, we know what it is. Um, You know, people say kneecap, you kind of know what that is. Your heel, we know what that is. Um, But then the real terms, right? So you've got the scapula, you've got the clavicle. You have the patella, which is your kneecap. So we have um, the the nomenclature that. So I use them interchangeably. So I'm educating you about what the like what the official kind of the formal name is, but always going back to the name that you're going to know. So you're not like lost. So that's the main reason I use them interchangeably. Is that it's okay to use them interchangeably? It's like here's something I know you're going to know understand, and then I'm also going to tell you kind of the Latin name of it too, the medical name of it. And and I think that's fine to do. I would say as a teacher, when you're learning and when I'm teaching you and then you go and teach on your own, you should use them interchangeably because you don't want to assume everybody knows what a scapula is because I can tell you they don't. I I have, I mean, that's, I had to train myself to use the layperson term because I would use a lot of technical terms that were the actual formal names, but many people did not know what I was talking about. You know, heel is calcaneus. Well, if I told you to prep, put pressure in your calcaneus, I don't know. I would assume about 50% of you would not know what I'm talking about. So I could say your heel and press into the, you know, then I can interchange that. So I look at it like I'm in, I'm educating, but I'm also not leaving you behind. But that's a great qu- question, Kaylin, and I'm, I hope I'm effective at doing that. 
Okay, well, that's all for now. I've got some more questions. I will save them for next week. Again, feel free to write me anytime, Lara at movementbylara.com. I try and get back as quickly as possible. And I also can answer questions on here on the podcast every Wednesday, Q&A, ask me anything, I will answer. Thank you so much, sending you hugs. And as always, I'm pulling for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.